Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Romans. As we continue our study through this book, and we come to Romans chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 9 through 31. The title of the message is Man's Problem, God's Solution. Romans 3, beginning in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, their tongues, with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, so there should no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. If, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yea, also, yea of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the, the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Let's pray. Father, I ask for enablement today to bring the message. We pray that you will deal with our hearts as you see fit. And Lord, I just ask for Christians that we might understand again and be impressed with the thought that there's no righteousness in us, but that all, the only claim we have to heaven is Jesus. That's the only way we'll ever get there is if we know him and we have his righteousness. And Lord, if there's someone here today who has never yet trusted Jesus as their personal Savior, I pray that you would help them to realize that, and I pray that they would come to true faith in you before it's too late. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a good day. Thank you for these good people who've come today, and I ask you'd bless and meet, meet our needs in this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everywhere you look today, there's ample evidence that mankind has a problem. We see it clearly in the United States as we observe the moral decline, the lawlessness, the breakdown of families, the erosion in political discourse, and the general lack of fear for God. 
and is evident really wherever you look in the world. Mankind is having a terrible time trying to govern himself. The problem is not politics. The problem is not human pollution. The problem not, is not a lack of education. The problem is not a lack of religion. The problem is not mental health. The problem is not a lack of financial resources. The problem of mankind is sin. Men and women, boys and girls are sinners. And sin deceives, it deteriorates, and it destroys. No one is exempt from the problem. Because as verses 10 and verse 23 say, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not only does this passage before us today tell us that we have a problem, but thank the Lord it also tells us that there's a solution to the problem. As we examine this passage this morning, we want to look at three main thoughts. The first one is the state of mankind, and then the solution for mankind, and then the surrender of mankind. First of all, let's look at the state of mankind as seen in this passage. We begin in verse 9. And we find it's it's very clear that mankind has a problem, and that's a sin problem. We're going to break this passage down as far as the state of mankind and looking, first of all, at his performance or our performance. We see that in verse 10. And it says, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It's interesting the times the Lord uses in this passage the word none. None means nobody. (laughs) There, there is nobody exempt. And when it says none, that means all of us. None are righteous. And he says in verse 10, he says, there's none righteous. No one does perfectly right. If you'll go back to Psalm 14 and just hold your hand there for a minute, and we'll look at verses in Psalm 14 as well. Verse, Psalm 14, verse 3 says this, they are all gone aside they are all together become filthy. So none righteous, all are filthy. All of them. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any. He said all of them gone astray. All of them are become filthy. So nobody is righteous. Also, there's none that understands. Notice what it says in this passage we're looking at in verse 10. Uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, verse 11. Nobody understands. That means in mankind, nobody understands completely. Nobody understands God. Nobody really understands everything about creation. Nobody understands everything about themselves. But God does. Nobody understands. Sometimes people who believe they're very smart think they have it all figured out. And God would say from heaven, you don't understand. You don't understand. We see that in Psalm 14, verse 2. It says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And there were none. <laughs> see if there were anybody that understood. And there were none. So nobody's righteous, nobody understands, and then none that seeks God. Verse 11 of our passage, it says, none, none that seeketh after the Lord, after God. Now you might say, well, Pastor, I sought the Lord. I remember when I got saved. For a long time, I was seeking God, and I found him the day I got saved. 
But the Lord would say, if you could understand it like God understand it, you would, you would know this, that you really didn't seek God until he sought you. And you never would have sought God if he hadn't sought you. The Bible says, no man cometh unto the Father unless the Father draw him. So when you got saved, before you got saved, God was drawing you. And God was causing you to seek him. And you obeyed that, you listened to that, and you, you were prompted to do that, and you began seeking God. But nobody seeks God of their own. Nobody. And so that means that we are not really capable of doing that because we're sinners. And we won't do that unless God deals with us. So God dealt with you and brought you to the Lord. In, chapter, in uh, Psalm 14, verse 2, it says, The Lord looked down from heaven to see if on the children of men to see if there were any that understand and seek God. So he says the same thing in Romans as he says in Psalm 14 and also Psalm 53. It says, nobody seeks after God. And then he says this, and this was something that we might want to argue with if we didn't know better, and that is it says, none that doeth good. Again, back in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become un unprofitable, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, our inclination is to argue with God a little bit and say, now, wait a minute, God. I've done a lot of good things. I mean, you know, I try to help people. I've tried to be, uh, take care of my family. Uh, I work hard. Uh, you know, you could mention a lot of things, and you could say, oh, these are good things. But, you know, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, for all of our righteousnesses, that's the things we just mentioned, all the good things we do, the Lord says all of our righteousness are as filthy rags in his sight. You see, we have to understand it like this. If we compare ourselves horizontally to each other, we can say I'm good or I'm better than somebody else, and that might be true. It probably is true. I imagine that we have sort of the cream of the crop here today. We probably have people who really love the Lord. And you might wonder and say, well, why would God say that nobody does good? Well, let me illustrate it like this. Let's say we had a cookout here at the church. And um, we looked out at the grill, and there was uh, two people fixing food. There was one guy who had just been down to the creek and got his hands all muddy. And uh, he had been collecting crawdads. And we knew that. In fact, he had a bucket next to him. And he's had his hands all with mud, and he was working on the hamburgers. And then there was another guy there who had cleaned his hands up, and he wasn't dirty at all, and he was, wanting, he was fixing those things, uh, fixing the hamburgers. Now, I ask you, who would you want to have the hamburger from? <laughs> It'd be the guy that had clean hands. I have a pastor friend who went to a restaurant one time, walked up, and he saw this guy leave the kitchen and go to the restroom. And... Uh, he went to the restroom as well. And he saw the guy after he'd finished at the restroom. He didn't wash his hands. He walked right out and walked back into the kitchen. So my friend walked back and he said to the manager, or he said to the person at the desk, he said, I want to see the manager. He said, why? Well, you just let me see the manager. And said, okay. So he brought the manager out. And he said to the manager, that guy back there in the kitchen was just in the restroom and he didn't wash his hands. I watched him. He came out and went right back into the kitchen. And if you don't do something about it, I'm going to tell everybody here. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd have the, 
I've been brave enough to do that. Maybe I would, but uh, he was right, wasn't he? <laughs> we don't like to eat after something, somebody that has filthy hands. You know, God says to all of us, we're sinners. And we can look good when we compare ourselves to each other, but not when you compare yourself to God. And God looks at the good we do, and he says it's a sinner doing it. It's a man with sinful hands doing it. And that doesn't cancel out the fact that he's... that. that uh, him doing good doesn't cancel out the fact that he's dirty. And the Lord says in his perspective, there's none that does good, no, not one. In other words, your goodness will never please God. There's none that does good, no, not one. Because of that, their speech is wrong. There's a whole list of things he gives. Look at verse 13. For their throat is an open sepulcher. He says their speech is wrong. Their throat is an open sepulcher. You know what a sepulcher is? It's a grave. And in those days, many times, it was like a cave. And they would seal that cave up. And, and then when they, if they were going to put another body in there, they would hope that the former body had already you know, dried up, deteriorated, so it didn't stink. But if, it, if it, had, it hadn't deteriorated enough and hadn't dried up, then it's going to stink. And the Bible says your, their mouth's like an open sepulcher. God looks at us and says, of everybody, you know, their, their speech isn't right. They sometimes say things they shouldn't say. And uh, God says, he looks at mankind, that's what it's like. Their throat is an open sepulcher to God. This is the way God views it, not we, but God views it this way. He says, their tongue, with their tongue, they have used a seat. Have you ever used a seat with your tongue? Have you ever said something to try to deceive someone with your tongue? And the Bible says their, their tongue is full of deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips like a poisonous snake. The poison of asp is under their lips. And so, so harmful can a person's tongue be when they say other things about other people. And then he says their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. The Lord looks down from the world and he says they just use their mouth in awful ways and their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And so that's the, the normal state of man. And God looks down from heaven and sees that. And then he says their actions are wrong. Look at verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. We have a lot of that today, don't we? I mean, blood shed everywhere, all over the place. And uh, these terrible incidents of the mass shootings take place, and they get a lot of publicity. But they don't mention the mass shootings that take place every day in these cities. And... Uh, in these, these cities like Chicago and other places, and there's so many being killed. And the Lord looks down from heaven upon men, and he says their, their, their uh, actions, their feet are swift to shed blood. And then he says destruction and misery are in their ways. Destruction and misery are in their ways. They're all the time doing things to hurt people and make people's lives miserable. Destruction and misery in the way. The pay, way of peace have they not known. It almost sounds like God's talking about some politicians, doesn't it? But then we have to say, no, not just politicians. God's talking about everybody. God's talking about everybody. And he says, normally, as God looks down before a person trusts Jesus Christ their Savior, before they have the righteousness of God applied to their account, they're all filthy, they're all sinful, they're all do wrong, and their actions prove it. And then their attitude is wrong. Verse 18 no, no fear of God before their eyes. I listened the other day, and I know this took place several weeks ago. Sean Hannity 
had a, an interview with Sean Penn. So I thought it would be interesting to listen to that whole interview, and I did. And Sean Penn seemed very concerned about the people in, the, in Ukraine. He'd been, he's been over there several times. I commend him for his concern. But in that interview, he made a statement. He said this, if there is a God, if there is a God, you know, Sean Penn sometimes sounds like a very smart man. And in this incident, he seemed to be a compassionate man. But he just proved himself to be a foolish man. Because the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so there's no fear of God because he doesn't even know there is a God. That's very sad. But the Lord looks down from heaven upon all men, not just that the people who say things like that, but all men, and he says, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Before you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, didn't you do a lot of things because you didn't fear God? Didn't you do a lot of actions because you didn't take God in consideration? You never considered Him. You didn't fear God, so you went ahead and did what was wrong anyway. No fear of God. And so God makes this uh, very clear about these people. Also, we notice their position as a sinner. It says in verse 9, it says, What then shall... Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. That's an interesting statement. God looks upon the world and he says that all of them are sinners and they're all under sin. You know, many people don't think that. What they think is they're over sin. You know, they sin and they. And many people even say, I just, even young people say, well, I just can't wait till I get out of home so I'm not under all these restrictions and I can do what I want and I'll be free. No, you won't be free if you do what you want. If you do what your flesh tells you and you sin like you want to sin, if you won't be free, you'll be put under bondage and that will come gradually and eventually it'll bring you down. Sin always destroys. Sin all, never builds up. And you're under sin. And so at, without Jesus Christ, we're under sin. We're under its bondage. We're under its guilt. We're under its condemnation. We're it's under its doom. A sin brings us under, not we don't get over sin. We don't, get, we don't rule over sin. Sin rules over us. So we're under sin. Man is under sin because man is a sinner. Sin always rules over the man. Man never rules over the sin. Sin does not make you free. Sin brings you into bondage. Also, the Bible says that all have gone out of the way. Look at verse 12. He says they're all gone out of the way. That means they've left the right path and they've detoured to another, on another path. If you leave the right path, which is righteousness, you leave the right wrong, and you get on the wrong path, it leads somewhere. And that path leads to hell. Rejecting Jesus Christ and doing what you want to do leads to hell. And the Bible says they've, they're gone out of the way. So when God looks down from heaven and he sees men, he said, in their natural state before they trust Jesus, they're out of the way. In other words, they're on the wrong path. And the Bible makes clear there's two paths. There's a narrow path that leads to life everlasting, and there's a broad path that leads to destruction. And almost everybody is on the broad path. There are few that find the way, Bible says. There are few that are on the narrow path that leads to, leads to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. 
So all are guilty before God, verse 19 says. There's no defense. Everybody is guilty before God. So the state of man, his performance, and the state of man, his position, we've seen as under sin and guilty before God. But then there's a problem he has as well. Look at verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So God paints paints this picture of mankind, and he says the problem is he can't do anything about it. It's not by the deeds of the law. It's not by doing right. It's not by saying, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. It's not by saying, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to try to please God. It's not that. He says, your problem is you can't fix it. You can't fix your problem of being out of the way. You can't fix your problem of being uh, doing no good whatsoever, not understanding. You can't fix any of that. Only God can fix it. And so the Lord says, man, his state is a state of a sinner with all of its problems. But then also in this passage, God says that there's a solution for mankind. And that solution is found in Jesus Christ. You see, there's one God. There's one earth full of people. And that one God made all those people on the earth. Originally, Adam and Eve, and since that, all people because he formed them in the womb. God made all those. And God, that one God, and there is only one, sent one Savior to where? The world, the earth, to save mankind. There's not two ways. There's not three ways. There's not... Uh, a Christian way and a Muslim way and a Buddhist way and all those. We're not, there's not that. There's one way, one God sent one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the solution for mankind. There is no other solution. I want to break this down, verses 30, 21 to 31, as we talk the solution for mankind. And look at it as, as a solution that's prescribed by God. Years ago, I was at West, in West Virginia pastoring, and I hardly ever miss any church services. Uh, the Lord's given me the good health, and hardly ever have I missed services. I probably could count on a hand on, on both hands in, in, uh, in 40, 47, 8 years. I just haven't missed many services because God gives me good health. But one Sunday, I got up, and I was feeling bad. I was dizzy. And I was weak, and I told my wife, I said, honey, I I just can't make it today. So I let them know, and I can't remember who spoke. I just don't remember. But we had a nurse in the church, and she came over to the parsonage. The parsonage was right next to the church. And she uh, examined me and took my blood pressure, and she said, Pastor, you have high blood pressure. It's way up. So I went to the doctor. And he was a Christian. He was a deacon in another Baptist church. I knew him well. And uh, he told me, he said, Earl, uh, you have high blood pressure, and I'm going to put you on some medicine. Well, I've been on medicine for high blood pressure ever since. I don't worry about it. I just take my medicine every day. But then a few years ago, I went to the doctor here in Ohio, my doctor, and he informed me that I was also a diabetic, (laughs) type 2 diabetic. And what did he do? He prescribed some medicine. That medicine has been changed a few times, trying to get it right, and finally, just not too long ago, he put me on not just the medicine, but also insulin. He prescribed that because there was a problem. 
and he prescribed that problem. Well, God is the one who knows our problem, and he, he prescribes to us the solution. And he says there's only one solution, and it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God without the law, that's the solution. You don't have any righteousness, and what you need is God's righteousness, so God will accept you. He'll never accept you because of who you are or what you've done. He'll only accept you because you know Jesus, and Jesus has given you his righteousness. That's the only way he'll accept you. And God's prescription to our problem is you need Jesus. We have to have Jesus. And so the Lord says that your prescription is Jesus. Not only did God prescribe it, but he also provided it. You see, if, I've gone, if I had gone to the drugstore after the doctor prescribed what I needed, and the druggist told me, we don't have this. We don't have this. We can't get it. Then what he prescribed would not have been provided. But that's not true of Jesus. <laughs> when he prescribes our problem, and the, the, the answer to our problem, he also has that answer available. <laughs> And that is Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died on the cross of Calvary. He paid for our sins. It's all paid for. Everything, every sin we ever committed, ever will commit, has been paid for. It was paid for on the cross of Calvary. Jesus had it all already, and it's provided for us. It's available to us. It's there. We can have it. And in this passage, he uses three terms. He uses the term justification, redemption, and propitiation. Justification means that we are declared righteous. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're declared righteous. I've explained it many times. I hope you understand it and can explain it to somebody else. It's the term of a judge. God is the judge, and he stands in judgment over us, and he looks down on us. We're standing before him, and he says, I declare you to be righteous. Now, your husband or wife, if, if this happened, you know, they might be standing by and say, Huh? <laughs> Uh, I know some problems they have. But Jesus said, but God says, no, I declare you righteous because your, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been put to your account and you're clothed in his righteousness so God the Father can look down and declare us righteous because we have Jesus. See, if you don't have Jesus, you don't, you're in problems. You have a problem. You have to have Jesus. So declared righteous, that's what justified means. And then redemption is another word that's used. The word redemption means release by the payment of a price. And that is, you're in bondage. A price needs to be paid for you to be released. We're in the bondage to sin. A price had to be paid. What was that price? The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And so on the cross of Calvary, Jesus went to the cross and he paid the price for us. He shed his blood for us. It's all paid. And the ransom price was the blood of Jesus and we've been redeemed by the blood. Uh, The redemption is available because of the blood. And when you trust Jesus, you are redeemed. And so we can be declared righteous. We can have the redemption price applied to our account because Jesus paid for it. He, He paid for us with his blood. And then the word propitiation means satisfaction. It means God's satisfied. So we stand before the Lord. We're clothed in the righteousness of God. The blood of Jesus Christ has been, has, has been shed, and we're released by the payment of his price. We're clothed in Jesus' righteousness, and God says, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. 
you know, some people have in mind the idea that they're going to go to heaven someday and they're going to tell God, oh, God, I've done some good things. I've done this, 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 and my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. I know I've done some bad things, but Lord, look at all the good things I've done. If that's your argument, and that will never happen, by the way, you'll never have that privilege to stand before God and argue. But if it would happen, God would say, I'm not satisfied. I require perfection. I require righteousness, total righteousness, and God's not satisfied. But when you have Jesus and you have his righteousness, I'll guarantee you God's always satisfied with that. He's satisfied with his son, and he's only satisfied with you if you have Jesus. You'll never satisfy God by your works, by your goodness. You'll never satisfy God. It takes his his righteousness to bring satisfaction. And so... The Lord says that the prescription is it's prescribed by God, it's provided by God, it's available, and then it's proclaimed by God. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says this, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. God's prescribed it, God has, has provided it, and God proclaims that this is what you need. You see, if we go back to the, the, the druggist, and the doctor's prescribed something for my, my problem, I go to the druggist, and he says, yes, we have it. And he says, not only do we have it, Mr. McGuffey, it's the best medicine on on the, on the market for what you have. Oh, it really will help you. I mean, if you take this, I'll guarantee you that it'll take care of your problem. And if you just faithful take it, it'll take care of your problem. You'll never have to worry about it again. And he's proclaiming how good it is. Well, God does that for us. He prescribes it. He provides it. And he tells us how good it is. And he says, this righteousness is exactly what you need. And then the next thing is he presents it to us. You see, if I go to the druggist and I say, this is prescribed, he says, we've got it. And then he says, it's really a good, good drug. And then he gives it to me. But guess what happens, has to happen before he gives me that? I have to give him some money. <laughs> you ever had that happen? <laughs> now, occasionally I don't have to, and I always tell him, well, this is the best price because my Medicare you know, covers some of the things and it says zero Zero pay. I like that. But most of the time, you have to pay for it. And so I had to pay for it. And so the Lord says, I not only prescribed it, I not only provide it, I not only proclaim how good it is, but I present it to you. And the Lord does that. And all we have to do is come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need this. I need you more than anything else. And I believe all that you've said about yourself. I believe you died for me on the cross of Calvary and shed your blood for me and you were raised again on the third day. I believe that. And the Lord says, you believe it, I present it to you. <laughs> and God presents it to us. We, and uh, God gives us what we need. It's exactly what we need. We all need righteousness and God gives it to us. God gives us something we can afford because he says, Verse 24, freely, freely. It doesn't cost you a dime to trust Jesus as your personal Savior. 
And we can attain to it too. It's something we can do. Verse 22 of chapter 3. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, by faith. You see, you can get it by faith, and that's the only way you can get it. And that it's, it's freely given, and it's by faith. And it says in verse 26, I think it is, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. All you have to do to get this wonderful remedy for your problem is to believe. That's it. We have many times cloudy representations of the gospel. And many times someone will say, well, what you have to do is commit your life to the Lord. Show me that in the Bible. What you have to do is open up your heart and ask Jesus to come in. Show me that in the Bible. It's not there. What you have to do is consecrate yourself to the Lord. Commit your life totally to him. That's not there. But I'll tell you what's there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe. You have to come to the place where you believe the gospel. You look back in faith to 2,000 years ago and you say, Lord, I, I believe what you did for me. I, I trust that only. I believe that completely. And when you believe what Jesus did for you, the Bible says you're forgiven. And you have what you need, and that is the righteousness of God applied to your account. And that righteousness will last. I mean, it lasts throughout all eternity. Why is that? Well, verse 24 says it's by grace. (laughs) It's by grace. You see, it wouldn't last if it was determined on my goodness. It only lasts if if it's determined by grace. You see, some people say, well, I can lose my salvation. Once I get it, I can lose it if I do certain things. The Bible says, no, you can't lose it because you didn't get it because you deserved it, so you won't lose it because you don't deserve it. It's by grace. I don't deserve to be saved even anymore today after I've been a pastor for way over 40 years. I don't deserve it anymore today than I did the day that I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I don't deserve salvation. If I got what I deserved, I'd go to hell, and you would too. But we don't get what we deserve. We get what Jesus promised, and it's by grace. Thank the Lord for grace. You know, it'll never happen on the streets of gold that someone will be walking down the streets and they'll motion for a person to come over. They want to talk to them, and they'd say something like this. And I've heard some so-called gospel songs say this, and they would say, Let me tell you what I did to get here. (laughs) Oh, no, you won't ever do that. (laughs) But I'll tell you what you might say on the streets of gold. You might call a friend that you've known and says, let's talk again about what Jesus did for me. Oh, I'm so glad. I I saw him just today with those prints of the nails in his hands and and his feet and that place in his side, and it reminded me again what he did for me. And I'm so glad for Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be here. That's all you'll hear. You'll never hear people tell you what they did to get there. They'll brag about Jesus, not about themselves. And so salvation is free, and it will last. And then finally, the last point is the surrender of man. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 Where is boasting then is excluded by by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. No pride. 
If you ever trust Jesus as your Savior, and most of you have, you came to that place where you were totally broken and there was no pride. You didn't come to God and say, God, I've been really good and I've done my best. I think you should save me. You don't do that. You come as a broken sinner and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I want you as my personal Savior, and you turn in faith to Jesus, and you're humble before him because you realize it's not of works lest any man should boast. No boasting whatsoever. You have to surrender. If you've never come to the place of complete surrender and just cried out to Jesus to save you because you're a lost sinner, then you need to do that today, and you need to trust Jesus But I love this song, number 257, and it says this, Not have I gotten but what I receive. Christ has bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded. Pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. That's all any of us are. Once I was foolish and sin ruled my heart, cursed causing my footsteps from God to depart. Jesus hath found me, happy my case. I'm only a sinner, now I'm a sinner saved by grace. Tears unavailing, no merit had I. Mercy had saved me or else I must die. Sin had alarmed me, fearing God's face, but now I'm a sinner saved by grace. Suffer a sinner whose heart overflows, loving his Savior to tell what he knows. Once more to tell it, would I embrace? I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. That's the only way you're saved. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I hope that today you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us of your goodness, reminding us of our badness, We thank you, Lord, that when we trust Jesus, we have your righteousness applied to our account. We're accepted in the beloved. And if anybody here has not yet trusted Jesus, I pray that today they will. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.